Its beginnings were the beginnings of probably one of the most spiritually powerful New Testament churches that we read about. Now, remember what Ephesus is all about. Ephesus is all about the Temple Diana and occult activity. So, a couple of things happen that we read about in Acts 19. One of the things is that, remember, all the people are believing and being revived and, and such a great move, movement of the Spirit that they bring all their books to be burned. Remember, we talked about the industry that existed in Ephesus for spiritual books or occult books or demonic books. So all these people that have these books that write about demonic activity and demonic things, they say, wait a minute, we're new people now. We're going to get rid of this mess. And so they bring all these books and they have this giant bonfire where they burn all the books. We're told in Acts, Acts chapter 19 that the value of the books that they burned was 50,000 pieces of silver. That's a massive fortune. So these huge bonfire of books, they burn them in this giant statement that says, these things are trash, we're done with this, we're going to burn this mess, right? Well, that doesn't make people very happy. But then the next thing that happens, remember that this guy Demetrius. Demetrius is sort of a big shot in the whole Temple of Diana trinket industry. So he makes trinkets for the temple, he makes idols, he makes mementos, all this kind of things, and he's sort of a bigwig in that. And he gets upset because the gospel is cutting into his business. People are buying fewer and fewer Diana trinkets. They're buying fewer Artemis idols, and he doesn't like it. So he gets some of his cronies together and he gets them all stirred up and whipped up and says, this guy Paul here is, is we've got a good thing going here and he's messing it up. We need to get rid of this guy Paul. So they cause this big riot to break out. Remember all that? And, and for two hours they're in the streets shouting, great is Artemis, great is Artemis, right? And so there's this riot going on. They're about to beat Paul up. In fact, they beat up some of his, his uh, friends and disciples. And they're about to beat Paul up and he tries to talk to the crowd. The crowd won't listen. And then the guy, the, the town clerk, which is, would be like the mayor, comes out and he tries to speak to him. And everything, everything ends up with Paul having to leave the city of Ephesus and he'll never come back because he can't come back. Because if he comes back, they'll throw him in jail or they'll beat him up or worse. So he leaves Ephesus for the last time and that is the story of the beginning of the Ephesian church and a little bit about the culture in which it lived and how it came to be. Its beginnings were the beginnings of probably, if not the most, one of the most spiritually powerful New Testament churches that we read about. Its, its beginnings were amidst one of the most powerful moments or times of revival that the New Testament saw. But this was the Ephesian church. Paul then leaves there. And after he leaves, he goes up uh, and he visits some other churches. He goes up to Philippi again. He goes over to Thessalonica, visits them, goes to the Bereans. And then he goes to that place called Troas. And Troas, you remember, that was the story where Paul's teaching all night. 
And there's, there was that uh, guy, Eutychus, who's sitting in the window, and Paul's teaching so long, he falls asleep and falls out the window, and his, Paul goes down and raises him back to life and goes back and finishes his teaching. After Troas, then he's going back to Jerusalem, and the Spirit has told him that he will be arrested in Jerusalem and taken to Rome. But that's where God wants him to go. So he's sort of in this hurry to get back to Jerusalem because he wants to be in Jerusalem by the Pentecost. And he's passing sort of nearby Ephesus, but he, he number one, he, he doesn't want to go all the way to Ephesus. He says he doesn't want to take the time to go all the way there. He doesn't want to take the time that it, he'll be there if he goes to the church there. But nonetheless, and, and plus he can't go there. They'll probably arrest him too. But nonetheless, he does want to interact with them. So then he sends that message to meet him in Miletus. And the elders of the church in Ephesus come and meet Paul in Miletus. And then Acts chapter 20, there's that tearful farewell where they're crying and weeping and hugging one another, praying and kneeling down because everybody knows, the elders know, and Paul knows this is the last time they'll see each other and the bond is so tender and so close. The the Christian brotherhood is so profound that it's this moving, tearful moment. Paul then leaves there, returns to Jerusalem. Sure enough, he's arrested and sent to Rome. So that's the story of the Ephesian church. Now, a little bit about the letter itself. We said earlier that the letter is rather unique. And some of the ways that it's unique are in that you may have, if you have read through and studied through Ephesians before, you may have noticed a couple of things about Ephesians that are a little bit odd, um, perhaps even strange. You may have noticed them and you may have noticed what's missing or maybe not. Uh, if not, then I'll point them out to you right now. What's missing in Ephesians that's rather startling once we notice that it's missing is anything personal. There's no mention of, of, of anybody by name except for this fellow named Tychicus at the very end when Paul says Tychicus is the one who's going to bring you this letter. So there's no mention of any of the Ephesian believers, which is odd because Paul loves to greet people. In fact, for example, the letter to the Romans ends with an entire chapter of greetings and he's never even been to Rome. Yet he knows people that are there and he just loves to greet them. So again, this was a church Paul spent more time there than anywhere else. We've talked about the bond that he had with the Philippian church, the Thessalonican church. True. But still, Paul spent a great deal of time in Ephesus, and yet he has nothing to say by way of greeting. So that's rather odd. But that's kind of one of those things that's sort of like an argument from silence. Uh, We're saying, well, something's missing that seems like it should be there. Not a very strong argument, but it is noticeable. It should be there. There should be some kind of personal note, but it's not. Every other letter that Paul writes to every other church, he says something about his spiritual fatherhood or something about the time that he spent there laboring with them. Every other letter to a church, except for Romans, because he never went to Rome, or he hadn't by the time he wrote. He didn't go to Rome. So Ephesians and Colossians are the two letters that say nothing about his spiritual fatherhood or nothing about the time that he spent there working with them. So that's the first thing. But then another thing is missing that you probably didn't notice because your English translations sort of smooth this over. Another thing that's missing 
is the word Ephesus. If you look in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus. Now, the oldest manuscripts we have don't have those words in Ephesus. Anybody want to take a guess what they do have? No guesses? A blank space. The oldest manuscripts that we have, for example, the oldest manuscript is something called P46. You probably, if you're somebody that likes to read your Bible's footnotes, you've seen P46 everywhere because it is an extraordinarily important manuscript. It's the oldest full manuscript that we have. It dates to the 2nd century, which is the 100s. So it's very, very old. The oldest manuscript, like I say, as, as well as ones going up through the 3rd century, which is, which, I'm sorry, the 4th century, which will be the 300s, None of them have those two words in Ephesus. They all have a blank spot. Odd, wouldn't you say? Now, after the 4th century, once we get into the 5th century, or the 400s and after, they all have those two words in Ephesus. So scholars sort of scratch their head about that, and they say, okay, why is there no personal greeting? Why is there nothing personal in the letter? Why are the words in Ephesus not in there? Um, the old manuscripts that we have, they have a title at the top that says Paul's letter to the Ephesians, but in the text itself, there's a blank spot. And what they have come up with, what I think is the, the most reasonable answer is, it was what we call a circular letter. Meaning that Paul wrote it with the intention that Tychicus takes this letter and takes it on a circuit and takes it to a bunch of churches and Tychicus takes it there and he reads it at all these churches. For example, take a look if you want to sort of hold your place and flip over to Colossians. I'm sure you've heard how Colossians is a parallel letter to the Ephesian letter. Uh, it goes Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. If you look at the very end of, of Colossians, Colossians chapter 4, verse 16. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans. And see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So Colossians was another type of circular letter that Paul wrote it. And, and taking that letter, Tychicus would take it. He would go, probably start at Ephesus, and he would read the letter. Probably several Sundays in a row, he would read the letter to them. And when he read the letter, he would fill in to the saints who are in Ephesus, because that's where he was. And then, when after he'd been in, Ephes in, in uh, the Ephesian church for a while, he would leave, they would make a copy of the letter, he would leave taking the letter to the next church and spend some weeks there, reading it to them every week, filling in the city or the town or the church that he was at. They would then make a copy, filling in the, their own name, and they would go along. This explains why later manuscripts have in Ephesus written in, but the older ones don't. So it's what we call a circular letter. And if you want to kind of take a look, if, uh, if we are, if you're looking in Ephesians, if you look at chapter 1, verse 15, Paul says this, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith, because I've heard of your faith, does that sound like a man who's writing to people that he spent three years with? I've heard, I've heard about your faith. That doesn't sound like he's writing to these people. Or if you take a look at chapter 3, verse 2, 
assuming that you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace? Why would Paul say, I'm assuming you've heard about God if he spent three years with them in Ephesus? Or chapter 4, verse 21. Chapter 4, verse 21. Assuming that you have heard about Him, meaning Jesus, and were taught in Him. Why would Paul say that? He says that because he's writing this letter that he wants many churches to read beginning in Ephesus. So it's this letter that is written really to the Gentile churches. It would have been read probably in Ephesus. It would have been read in Smyrna uh, to Pergamon to, to Thyatira. It would have been read in Laodicea. It would have been taken to the churches through Galatia, maybe Antioch. Uh, maybe even the church in Alexandria. It would have been taken all over the place. Now that changes a little bit about how we're going to think through it as we go. Knowing that Paul, what Paul writes, he's not writing it specifically to those people living in Ephesus, but he's writing it to Gentiles living in multiple places. Now, if that's the case, why do we spend so much time talking about Ephesus and the Ephesian church? if it's not written to specifically the Ephesian church. We wanted to spend that time because, and here's why, all of the manuscripts of the Ephesian letter that we have were to the Ephesian church. There are no surviving manuscripts that the church in Pergamon or the church in Smyrna kept. So in His wisdom, God has preserved for us the letter that the Ephesian church read every Sunday. And there is some meaning in that. So when we studied through Philippians, we were real careful to understand the Philippian culture and how the letter to the Philippians interrelated with their culture. It will play into the Ephesian letter, though not as much as it would in another letter that was written, say, to the Thessalonians. But God has chosen that through this letter that Paul, Paul is multiplying his spiritual effect by sending this letter to multiple churches. However, God has said, this is the one that my church will have preserved, the one that the Ephesians received and the one that the Ephesians read. So why might God do that? Well, remember how important the temple is? Diana's temple, temple of Artemis. Could it be that the people who lived in a place that were so wrapped up with the temple received this letter from Paul that's all about the temple of God, meaning the church. These people that whose lives had just always been about the temple of Diana, there's something really profound to say to them about the temple of God, or in other words, the church. I think maybe there's a connection. But we'll kind of keep that in mind as we go through. 